Hello everybody and welcome to WTS 240. Snore. My name is Danny Murray. I'm Brian Bradanton. But the bumbo. But the bomb. Do you like Fox, Danny? <laughs> Funny. <laughs> I used to love Phone Hacker, man. Do you know, have you not listened to the new Phone Jacker podcast? No. <gasps> Didn't even know you had one. There's brand new 10 minute episodes. There's 10 episodes so far, and it's all new content. Ah, oh, Brian, I'll go check that yeah. out. Yeah, I'll go Brian check that out. Dun, dun. <laughs> Classic. Classic. Uh, How are you, Danny? I'm Graham Merrigan. You're Danny Murray. Indeed, I am fantastic, Graham. Uh, I am on my holidays, so I am loving life. Um, How are you? Uh, also on my holidays and semi-loving life. I had a run-in with someone outside your parents' house the other day that I just want to briefly discuss. because It wasn't it was- one of my parents, was it? No, absolutely not, because your parents are saints and they would never treat me the way this absolutely vile human being. Oh, yes, you told me about, yes, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah proceed to tell us the story, yeah. So, uh, on the, what would you call that, That that's just a like a footpath, you know, the tarmac, is there a special special warden for that around? Oh, anyway, I was yeah. going up the tarmac um, pathway from the first entrance to Cromlock to the second entrance to Cromlock. Welcome, yeah. my beautiful, handsome prince, Suggsy. And, a stunning uh, dog. Stunning dog. And there was a woman up ahead of me, and I passed her out with Suggsy at kind of halfway point. I got to the bus stop down just before the roundabout at Bayview, Cromlock Fields, mm-hmm. and I turned around to make, my, to make my way home. So I was going to be facing this woman when we kind of met so to speak so i'm on the right side of the path going back home she's on the other side of her right side of the path coming going towards the bus stop and just walking the dog so he's to my right and this woman says basically says to me you shouldn't be walking them like that you're gonna hurt them and i said and i kind of completely taken back she said it very aggressively and she said it real aggressive patronizing kind of looking down on me um, and when she said she shouldn't be walking him like that what what did she mean like space like she goes um shouldn't be walking i don't know what she meant because the dog was to my right it was towards yeah. the end of the walk and when Suggsy towards the end of the walk he kind of just wants to go home so he's just snailing along at your side yeah yeah so he was nowhere I've been walking the dog for well over a year now Um, he knows the chair he knows me you know he's a very very intelligent dog Um, so was she was she alluding to the fact that because because you're in a chair basically yeah the the way the way you're out with him she must have had it in her head that he was going to try and walk across me and I was then going to wheel over the dog. So that's, that's what she was getting at. I, I, I don't really buy this as the sincerity in her comment, as in I'm looking for, out for the welfare of this dog. I think she was just being a bitch. Yep, um, sounds like it to me. And I, I said, excuse me. And she says, what are you, something along the lines of, uh, you're not doing it right. You're going you're gonna to hurt the dog. And I said, and and she kept walking, so she didn't stop to look at me. She kept walking and was talking with her back to me, and I had stopped sideways, looking at her, looking at her back. And I says, 
I've been walking the dog a year. I know what I'm doing. And she said, you obviously don't because you're going to hurt the dog. You're going to seriously hurt the dog. And I was, I started shaking then. The adrenaline was rushing because it was, it was, it was just piggery. Yeah. And then, and then there was a bystander uh, who was walking his dog and he was on the grass but going in the same direction as this woman and he heard everything. Mm. And if he's listening, thank you. I don't know who you are. I don't think, <laughs> uh, but you're you're a gentleman. And he got involved. And basically, told her to mind their own business. He knows what he's doing. But he, she was giving as good as she got to him as well. She was answering him back, saying he obviously doesn't know what he's doing. He's going to hurt the dog. And I shouted down, "Mind your own fucking business!" And uh, he was like, "Will you leave that man alone? He's he's out on a Sunday evening walking his dog." And I, all you. Uh, have you nothing better to be doing than giving out? And she's like, I'm only thinking of the dog. And I just went home fucking shaking with the adrenaline. So yeah. I wanted to share that anecdote. That's not, you can't, you can't do that. To straight, like she ruined my evening and yeah. that was Sunday. And as we were recording on the Wednesday, it was still on my mind today. You know, when you're walking the dog and you're doing the same route and you're kind of going, am I going to bump into this woman again? And I'm not yeah. saying that out of fear of bumping into her because I will give her a piece of my mind this time because I'll be prepared. But she had, she basically said to me that a wheelchair user shouldn't have dogs is what mm. that communication was all about. And she was a cow and it was a horrible experience. So I wanted to get off my chest. I've seen you with Sogzi. And I've seen Sugsy with your dad, and he's a very well-behaved dog. He he knows. He's a puppy, the, like. Yeah, he he knows the score. You know the score. As you said, you've been out walking that dog now for since he's a pup. Every day, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, no, that woman. People like that are they're the kind of people who need who have this internal thing that they need to comment, even though nobody fucking asked them. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know the type, you know the type of person who did walk through, even though they're walking through a smoking area, they'll do that real dramatic thing where they'll go, ugh, ugh, and they'll waft in front of their nose. You're walking through a fucking smoking area, love. Don't act like yeah. somebody's just put a cigar up your nostril. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Those type of fucking assholes, man. I, yeah. I know it's very easy for me to say, pay no heed to a, a bitch like that, but, you know, yeah, and I understand the sentiment behind you saying that, and a lot of people have said that to me. Try and pay no attention, and it is as 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 a minority, as someone with a disability, it is easier said than done. Do you know what I mean? And um, yeah. it is it, like when you're when you face things like that, sometimes daily, depending if you've left the house every day, and yeah. if you're going to use public amenities, these things happen every day. Yeah, you know so. It is easier said than done. Try and not listen to her. You know, you know what, you know, you're good to Sugsy. All this kind of rhetoric. That's easier said than done. It, that, sometimes that can come across, and I know the sentiment isn't this, but I'm just saying, as me in this situation or other wheelchair users that face this kind of shy talk, when someone else says, oh, try not listen, it can sometimes come across as patronizing because. Mm. It, it, it feels like from the person it's like oh this is a once off incident you know and while that has never been said to me before in regards to walking the dog it has been said to me before in regards to other stuff in life yeah. parking the car you know just other kind of discriminatory ableist comments um, so 
it is easier said than done to kind of just forget when these things happen more than once a week. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I know it's, it's something we talked about before as well in terms of, you know, like I've never had the experience of having to ring a dart station in advance to say, here, I'm going to be using the dart. Can you make sure someone's there so that I can get on and off? So I, I can't possibly put myself in your situation. So I, I get what you mean when you're saying it, it can be a bit patronizing or whatever. When people say, but I don't think the, okay. I don't think they mean to be patronizing. No, of course not. No, but I, I get yeah. the point you're making. But as as yeah. well, I think, uh, look, look, whoever whoever that kind stranger was that also told you I want to get stuffed. Fair play. Um, oh, he was a legend. I, I think people need to intervene more. It's uh, like I think uh, this example being one, but also other examples where you you know you might hear somebody saying something fucking racist or catcalling at a young girl or whatever, like, don't be afraid to kind of go, here you, fuck off and mind your own business, you awful gobshite you. Yeah. You know? Um, Absolutely, 100% agree. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. Whoever that woman is, I hope when she orders our next takeaway that the driver forgets our chips <laughs> and it ruins our dinner. Or even all- better, even better, and, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, Whoever you are, Mrs. I hope you need to get up in the middle of the night to go for a wee. And when you do, you stub your toe on the end of the bed. Beautiful. Danny, who are we talking to this week? We are welcoming back an old friend. Delighted to welcome back. It's been a long time, um, but we're delighted to welcome back Dr. Carla Augustenborg, who is a climate scientist, climate communicator, and anyone who is uh, tuned into News Talk every so often will definitely have heard Carla uh, on the down-to-earth slot as well. But delighted to have you back, Carla. Thanks a million for coming back on to our podcast. It's great to see you guys. I feel like it's been years. It has. It actually has been actually years. Has. <laughs> We're all uh, years. It's nuts. Yeah, yeah. 2017 was the last time we had a chat with you. So a lot has changed. Well, yeah, the, the more things change, the more they stay the same as well, you know? Yeah, some things haven't changed. Yeah. You guys haven't changed. You look exactly the same as you did in 2017. Maybe better looking, but I don't know. You know what? I'll take that compliment, yeah. That's, that's, the, hi- compliment. that's the highlights you were talking about earlier. <laughs> some things get better with age. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so, I mean, climate crack. Look, right, look, we'll, we'll just start with, with the media one because even kind of while we are just waffling uh, pre-press and record there, uh, we all just had a little giggle about billionaires trying to get into space. What What's going on, Carla? What's going on? Monkeys. It, it, I am finding this so upsetting, this space race, because first of all, there, one of them, two of them, so Elon Musk, we all know as, you know, Tesla inventor, uh, he's been a kind of an advocate of, of tech-based climate action for a long time, and I really admired him for that. And now I don't. Uh, and Richard Branson, okay, he owns an airline that's bad, but he actually has donated uh, a lot of money in the past to climate solutions and everything. So he was kind of a climate advocate too. Um, Jeff Bezos, another story, Amazon, whatever, I don't know. Uh, but I just feel like they're being complete hypocrites now. So here they are, they, they claimed to care about climate action and the planet. And what they're doing is having a directly negative impact on the planet. So, you know, these these flights to space are at minimum 100 times worse in emissions than a transatlantic flight. Uh, and 
and at maximum, potentially a million times worse because there is a, a soot that gets emitted out of rockets uh, called black carbon. Uh, and we don't know much about it because we, we don't really emit, you know, we don't send that many rockets to space. So it hasn't been something that scientists have studied extensively, but they do know that this black carbon is a uh, hundred thousand to a million times uh, more climate warming than carbon dioxide. So uh, there's another impact that we, we can't even quantify. And these guys aren't paying carbon tax like the rest of us for all of these emissions. Um, so it's really bothering me that, that they just are allowed to do this and that they're saying it's because they want to save humanity, but it's trashing humanity at the same time and no one's really holding them accountable. See, it's, it, it, I'm kind of glad you said that as well because a little while ago we had Dr. Neve Shaw on the podcast and obviously Neve's mad into space and everything to do with outer space so she was very excited by it and kind of we were as well and then it was only when kind of uh, Richard Branson and, and Jeff Bezos well Richard Branson kind of went to space if you listen to Jeff Bezos apparently he didn't actually go to space uh, b- billionaires measuring the size of each other's manhood there I think more so than anything else um, but um I didn't realize kind of the, the the wider impacts it was having and how ridiculous it was. I think the Bezos one, I just thought th- this will show you how kind of stupid and how ridiculous it is to do what money, 28 million somebody paid to be part of this. Didn't realize they had a clash in their diary. So <laughs> an 18 year old got the go. I just kind of thought, how how rich how, do you have to be to pay 20, Yeah, to pay 28 million quid to be part of something and go, oh, I'm, I've, a, I've a Zoom call. That, day, <laughs> that, I, that I can't get out of. Listen, keep keep the dosh. Give give a kid a shot. Let let them go up to space instead. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, but so so whatever about the good it may potentially do many 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 years into the future if we need to get off Earth. They're kind of accelerating possibly the need for us to get off Earth by <laughs> contributing to the wreck. Yeah, and in the meantime, so like to put the climate crisis in into context here, we have. Uh, less than 30 years now to get to what they call net zero emissions. So we're, yeah. we're not we're not using fossil fuels and whatever we're emitting, we are equally you know sequestering through forestry or whatever. And so with 30 years, that's not very much time left. And it's going to cost Morgan Stanley estimates 50 trillion dollars to fund this transition to a low carbon society. And meanwhile, you've got the likes of Jeff Bezos, who you know could give everybody in the world. $597, you know, and still have my cents left over, um, you know, spending it on going to space. And I just think, you know, take that money and put it into saving something on earth because we need, we need to dump those resources in and stop detracting. Like we don't have much time left. And they're talking about like, let's build the life raft and get off the planet. And, and I'm like, look, if you could just focus for three more decades, maybe we could, we could fix this. And and I, you know, the other thing is, I think the people who are saying this is so exciting, they think they're going on that spaceship, you know, Mm. and the reality is it's the 1% who can afford the ticket and who can afford to pay for the oxygen because we know it's all going to be privatized, uh, you know, when they're on Mars or whatever, they're the ones going, most of us are not going, most of us are going to be stuck down here suffering the effects of climate change. So I would at minimum like to see these guys, paying their carbon tax like we're supposed to be paying 200 euro a ton uh for for the carbon we emit that would reflect the real damage that the carbon is doing so i haven't run the numbers yet on how much carbon they're actually emitting but um yeah. someone should send them a bill so, so, why, why aren't they paying carbon tax 
Well, presumably they're buying their fossil fuels from places that don't have carbon tax. I don't know where their their jet fuel is coming from, but um, I don't think America has a carbon tax yet. Uh, so if they're buying it there, then they're probably not paying a carbon tax. So from California maybe does, but I'm guessing they're not buying it from California. Wonderful so Texas. Good yeah, old Texas. they're not. Like we have a carbon tax in Ireland, but that was our government that that you know instigated so, that. So so these guys have. They're they're jumping in the life raft before the Titanic has hit the iceberg. Basically, they're, they're like we've we've still got time to. We're heading for the iceberg, but yeah. we haven't hit it full on yet. Yeah, you we guys, don't. I mean, the, we they now say we've we've warmed the Earth one point one degrees Celsius, which doesn't sound like a lot, but the the scientists are saying we have to keep it under one point five degrees to to save you know places like the maldives and low-lying countries so mm. they think we will hit 1.5 degrees well there's a 60 percent chance we'll hit it by 2026 so that's really soon um yeah. but like we'll probably hit it and then it'll go back a, you know a little bit and then we'll hit it again or whatever it'll be a little bit um in flux mm. uh but yeah like god if we could just knuckle down for three decades and get our act together um you know, and certainly these guys are the guys who should be funding that kind of transition. So it just shows that our whole model has failed. <laughs> the fact that these guys have enough money to just do whatever they want rather than actually address problems. In the yeah, world. it's 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 one of them, Meadow. I know you you've said it countless times before, but like the world doesn't need billionaires. Like it's just it's it's a vulgar thing uh, to have that amount of money where you can kind of say, do you know what? I'm done with this planet. I'm just gonna see if I can. Mosey on, on to the next one there. And yeah, it's it's scary, like. Yeah, I mean, the old millionaires, before they were billionaires, used to, you know, take their extra money and build libraries and schools and hospitals. And, you know, that was their legacy. So yeah, I yeah. don't know why, why these guys can't do something similar. And Bezos yeah. doesn't even pay his bloody staff properly. Like, why don't you pay your staff properly before you start going into space? <laughs> Yeah, and they all paid for the trip to space. Oh, it's just the whole thing. And I mean, I think Branson said, um, you know, this would be great that people would see the Earth from afar and suddenly they would start caring about it and want to do something about it. Because a lot of astronauts have said that when they left Earth and looked back, that's when mm. suddenly they realized how fragile we are and they wanted, they became environmentalists or whatever. And Al Gore... It's such, a, it's, it's such a Disney line though, isn't it? It's such a like... Oh, I hopped up into space. I looked down at Mother Earth and thought, oh my God, we're hurting this earth. Like, it's such shite, isn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah. And I mean... Come look, on, like, what did you not know before you went into space? Yeah, how about funny. go down to the Amazon and watch it burn for a while, like, instead of going to space, and then maybe you'd start caring. Like, it's just... It, yeah, it seems like a really um, naive kind of mm. argument that that this will suddenly get people care. and you know look if they were electric uh fossil fuel free rockets that were taking people up there to suddenly care about earth i would actually be okay with that but it's the irony that these trips are causing so much damage you know i mean flying is the worst thing you as an individual can do in terms of your impact on climate and and i think what what is really upsetting for me is like i've spent the last 10 years kind of begging people to cut back on their flying uh and now I'm like, how can I do that when these guys are like heading off into space? You know, like it's really hard to tell other people to cut back when some of the, you know, the most successful men in the world 
uh, feel that doesn't apply to them, you know? Um, so yeah, that's, that it's, it's very upsetting for me. It's like kind of watching somebody just dump a load of trash in front of me on the beach, but way worse. Yeah. You know? it's, what's, what's, what's the reaction you get, Cara, when, when you try and tell friends or colleagues or whatever, when you're trying, you said there that the last 10 years, you're trying to ask them to cut down on their, their air travel. What, what, what's the general reaction you get? Because I know if I was to say anything to my friends or family, it would be a case of, we just stop. I only have one life and all this. So what, what's, what's the general response you would get? Um, I think people realize now that they, that, you know, we, we have to, we all have to do our part and, you know, and there's definitely been more, support or or i tend to say look maybe flying is really really important to you and travel really is important so why don't you look at other things like i have friends who are so committed to climate change that they gave up meat for a year so that they could go on a transatlantic flight you know because that was they calculated the emissions and they said well if i give up meat for a year yeah so you know it's trade-offs it's about like looking at where your carbon um is emitted where you use the most carbon uh or greenhouse gases and then going okay these are the things i can cut back on like can i cycle more can i you know put some insulation in my house or get solar panels or cut back one trip i mean and the thing about flying i know i know irish people really love travel and love flying and i used to love travel and everything but but it it kind of sucks now. Like I hate flying. Like you're just treated like cattle in a car. And maybe now with COVID, it's a bit different. But um, you know, you're packed into planes. It's horrible conditions. Um, then you go to these places, and they, sometimes they're all kind of the same. You know, everything has become quite samey. Um, so even a lot of culture is disappearing because of the internet and everyone wanting to have what everyone else has. So. I think people are more open to the idea of staycations and especially in Ireland because we have such a beautiful environment. And certainly now with COVID, people are kind of being forced into staycations. And my hope is maybe they'll appreciate not having to get on a plane and be treated like cattle and actually getting to have a holiday in the country. But at the same time, I know the reality is we want good weather. We want our holidays for way cheaper than what we pay here in Ireland. So, um, I don't like begrudge people traveling and I have had to travel in recent years to like, you know, go to family events in America and everything. So it'd be hypocritical of me to tell people not to fly at all. But um, I do think we can cut back. And I think certainly when it comes to business travel, like what have we learned this year that we don't actually need to fly to stupid conferences, you know, and waste a week of our lives uh, in a conference away from our family, away from our social lives back home. Like we can do these conferences in a couple hours a day from our computers and get a lot of the same experiences. So I'm hoping like there'll be an end to a lot of this kind of business travel, yeah, which the, I think is unnecessary. The worst thing in the world I could get in work is an email saying you were invited to, and then the location being somewhere in the UK or whatever. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> no, yeah, not, even, not even somewhere fun. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm yeah. going. I'm going to somewhere where it just rains slightly more. That's all it is. Like, yeah, you're going to the Arsenic of Scotland. Yeah, um, <laughs> but that's like I think you're right though. I think there is. I know certainly where where I work, there has been a bit of a shift in terms of they're like, yeah, this is making us look at things in a completely different way. And even remote working now, they're kind of that's becoming a big part. So people are spending less time commuting and spending less time clogging up the M50 in their diesel cars, which 
this out emissions all over the place, even though a few years ago we were all told, buy diesel cars, they're better for the environment. <laughs> um, but while you mentioned airfare, we'll stick to that, or air travel even, we'll stick to that, because if I had to laugh there a couple of months ago, because the, while, while those billionaires are getting into space, the ones that we talked about, Bill Gates, who, you know, Mr. Nice Guy for a long time, uh, <laughs> And and he's talking about how his guilty pleasure is a private jet. My guilty pleasure is, you know, listening to a bit of Westlife and not telling people. <laughs> Heading to Crow Park to see Westlife and like being like, oh, yeah, I went to see Westlife. <laughs> but secretly being like, I was given a lot of flying without wings. I know all the words. <laughs> I might even know all the dance moves. Look, I'm only, <laughs> you only have to stand up off a stool when the key changes. But like... How can your guilty pleasure be a private jet? Yeah. Come on, Bill Gates. What? Come on. He did yeah. create the vaccine, Danny, and he's, he did put microchips in our vaccine. Well, I mean... He can do what he, he, do what he yeah. wants. Well, my left arm has been giving me great food. I didn't really... I didn't... I hadn't heard that, Danny, that um, he had said that, but, you know, he just wrote a book on... That's... that's yeah, he was... Is that, is that in the book, or was that when... He it's, he was it? doing the promo tour of it. I think it, it might be in the book, but he was doing the promo. I think it was uh, The Guardian... Um, yeah. had an interview with him or whatever. And, and he's gone around in a private jet. Yeah, and one of the things that he was talking about was how, like, you know, oh, we all have to do more to offset this and offset that. And he goes, but I realise as I'm saying this, I'm saying as a man who's, my, my guilty pleasure is taking a private jet. And I'm like... Jesus. Yeah. The person that's trying to send the message is being hypocritical. Mm. What's the point? But, I mean, that is a huge problem for climate communicators. Like, they've done studies where they've shown uh, climate communicators getting up in front of an audience and, and saying, you know, how terrible the climate crisis is, and then dropping in strategically, you know, oh, and by the way, when I was on my family holiday in some exotic place that I flew to or my giant house or whatever, and, and climate communicators lose credibility across the board and people feel like they don't have to act. If the person who's telling them how urgent it is to act is now telling them how, how bad they are in their own lifestyles. So like credibility is, is everything. And it's really hard because we're all sinners. Like none of us are doing everything perfect. And, and a lot of times um, like people are trying to catch climate communicators out on, on what they're doing wrong themselves. And you, you want to admit that everybody, you know, is fallible and that it's hard and everything. But um, I felt the same way. I don't know if you saw Leonardo DiCaprio's movie, was it Before the Flood or something, where he was he was talking about climate change and he went all over the world and interviewed all these amazing scientists and he was on the Greenland ice sheet and and um, and he was like, oh, this is really bad. We should do something. And then you're reading at the same time that he has like the largest yacht in the world. And <laughs> not once, not once in the movie, like he, did he step back and go, oh my God, I need to change my life too. Like you all should do something, but I'm good here on my yacht. You know, <laughs> to, to one side, to one side of the camera is this massive yacht, and then just in in shot as they all being like, we have to save the Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But we we seen it at we seen it much closer to home, and uh, not to change the subject, but we've seen it much closer to home over the course of the pandemic, when the government has been trying to pass a message, and we had stuff like last August we had Golfgate, and it's like you know the 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 communication or lack of mm-hmm. to the public is to do this to do that to do the other, and then the, the public are like, well, if you're asking us to do this, but you're not doing it. Yeah. Why would I do it? Yeah, you know, and it's like the most t- recent thing with Catching Zapone. It's like, you know, private party, and it's like, well, 
You know, I wasn't allowed to have people at a wedding only four weeks ago, but you're allowed to have a private party. Yeah. <laughs> so I can see what you're saying there with it's very hard to get public trust when the communicator themselves are hypocrites. Mm-hmm. And how, how does, I don't know how that changes though. Because I spoke, I spoke to briefly about uh, to friends over the last couple of weeks about, particularly with the, the heat wave we've had, like 27, 28 degrees in, in Ireland. Like that's, that's crazy. 31 and in some places, man. 31 in the Midlands, yeah. So you're kind of saying to friends, oh, it's climate change. And they're like, don't talk to me about it. Don't, you know, I'm okay. We're going to be okay. So don't talk about it. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's trying to create that empathy for human beings to care about the earth for their grandkids and their grandkids' kids and, 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 and so forth. So long. I mean, that was where we were. Um, yeah. Maybe, maybe even five years ago, you know, you, I was talking about my daughter who's now 11, you know, I was worried about the world she was going to inherit and I was doing all this for her. And, um, but things are changing really fast, scary fast. Like, um, they're moving it. I mean, I don't know if you know, like the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change write these reports every six or seven years, kind of projecting where they think the climate is headed and what the impacts will be. And everything is in the worst case scenario. Like they always give five or six scenarios and there's a nice little middle line we tend to look at. You know, we think that's where we're headed, but actually it's way, way worse. Everything is happening a lot faster than anyone forecasts. And part of that is because the estimates were conservative and part of it is because we didn't know certain things. Like it turns out that cloud formation is an accelerator of climate change and there'll be more clouds because there's more water vapor in the air. And and so, you know, everything is going to happen faster than we thought. So now it's actually us. Like I, I, I'm worried for my daughter for sure, but I'm as much thinking that we are going to suffer, you know, and, and COVID was kind of a teaser. I think like when, when you talk about impacts on supply chains and food imports and everything, um, I, like, I, I think, I mean, I just read a paper actually, I don't know if you, it came out in the media last week about how Ireland is one of the top five places to survive a, a societal collapse. I don't know if you saw that study, but I, I, I didn't read it. I did see it though. Yeah. Yeah. It was a little like simplistic. I don't necessarily agree with the analysis, but it started with the premise that the research shows that there is a 90% probability that a societal collapse will occur in the next three decades. So, and like the pandemic does not count as a, a, a societal collapse. It's a, a multiplier. Like, so it's just a little, it can make things worse, but but we haven't experienced the kind of societal collapse that they're talking about. So I, I don't think it's, it's so much about protecting future generations or our grandparents or people from other countries. Like they're all going to be affected for sure. Or grandchildren, I mean, but um, I think, I think we should be worried about what happens in Ireland too, in the next kind of three decades um, because everything's happening faster. And I I realise as I'm saying this kind of we're we're talking about hypocrisy and everything else and then how you know travelling abroad for big conferences isn't a great idea when you're trying to tackle climate change but is this where something like COP26 which happens in November this year really has to drive an agenda and has to actually make make change COP26 is the UN conference on climate change Um, and it's, it's happening in Glasgow in November of this year so you're talking like hundreds of kind of world leaders and business leaders and everything else all coming together with the hope and the idea of all right we're gonna we're gonna tackle climate change and we're gonna leave this 
kind of week or whatever it is of events and we're going to leave it with a tangible plan that we're all going to agree on. You know, China's going to be there, America's going to be there, Russia's going to be there. The idea is all of us in a room together will we'll leave on the same page and <laughs> this will set the motion for how we're going to not hit the worst case scenario button in 10, 15 years time. Is it actually going to do that though? Do you think, Cara? Well, I mean, look, 26 being the operative number here, like we've had some, <laughs> you know, we have them every year. Has anything changed? Nah, not so much. I mean, the, the, the big one was uh, in 2015, what was that, COP21, mm. uh, the, the Paris Climate Agreement, that was like the big one, right? Um, I mean, there were other big ones before that. There was the Kyoto one in Japan was the first big climate agreement. Yeah. Uh, and then, then there were a few where it looked like we were gonna get another agreement because the one that happened in Kyoto was kind of unfair because it, it, it kind of pitted developed countries against developing countries. And it said developing countries could continue to uh, you know, burn fossil fuels and increase their their burn, uh, and developed countries had to curtail, and so Canada and the U.S. dropped out, and it, it collapsed. And then we thought we were going to have a big agreement in Copenhagen, uh, and then talks collapsed. And then we finally, thanks to Obama, Barack Obama really pushed the agenda and really kind of stepped across the aisle uh, and started negotiating with China, which who is a big emitter, obviously, um, and, and kind of got everyone to agree to the Paris climate agreement. So that was the big moment. I was there in Paris when it happened and we all cried. And <laughs> we thought, I, thought, I, I thought I was out of a job. I didn't think I needed to talk about climate change anymore after that. And, um, and yet, has much changed? I you know, it, things have changed. Like certainly in Ireland, we've seen some big changes this year mm. now that the, the Greens are involved in government and everything. Um, that's been a game changer. But um, these big climate negotiations, like I went to Paris and then I went to the one after that in Marrakesh. Um, and I was pretty put off by the whole thing. First of all, it's pretty much all men. That was a big shock to me. I was like, wait a minute, women make up 50% of the population and we have almost no say uh, in these negotiations. So I found that quite shocking. And it's a lot of just like going over bracketed texts and like, I don't really feel like it's that tied to reality. So I think the Paris Climate Agreement is great that all, all 200 or so countries have agreed to try and do what they can to keep the Earth's temperature below 1.5. But now it's what happens on the ground within countries and within localities, like all climate action is local. So it's as much what's happening at the county council level as it is the national level. Um, so yeah, I don't put too much weight into these international climate negotiations because so, I've, I've seen them happen. <laughs> so, so Glasgow may not become the new boy ward for sort of similar to how Paris is a bit of a boy ward for climate. We're, we're probably, we may not see that tangible leap come November? I mean, now it's all about kind of the rules of the game. Like, how do we get that, like that 1.5 or 2 degree temperature limit that was set forth in the Paris Agreement? There was nothing about how we were going to get there. So now it's how do we get there? So what happened was all these countries um, kind of put forward ideas on what they were going to do. And if all the countries actually did what they said they were going to do, we were still going to hit like three to five degrees of warming by the end of the century. So we still weren't going to stay below that 1.5 or two degree warming. So now it's what they call ratcheting down, which is trying to get all these countries to like up their ambition 
and running the numbers and going, okay, like how much more do we have to do to stay below the two degrees? And I mean, the scientists have said, look, to have like a 60% chance of staying below two degrees, we have to get to net zero by 2050. Like that yeah. still doesn't mean we're going to be successful, you know? So like even with, so uh, <laughs> I kind of, as, as you said, like Obama was one of the main drivers of Paris and then I was instantly reminded that's why Donald Trump decided to pull out of Paris then because anything Obama did, Trump was like, no, we're not having that. Mm-hmm. So Biden has signed back up to it. So that's good and news. And actually that was beautifully planned by Obama that in the Paris Agreement it said like, if a country wants to pull out, they have to give us notice and then they can't pull out for four, I think it was four years. So it was basically all designed so that Trump, even when he said, as soon as he became president, he said, I'm pulling out. He still didn't officially, the US yeah. didn't actually pull out for four years. That was designed to protect from the eventuality of a, of a Trump as president, which, you know, they were thinking ahead there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, kind of the emergency break that he hoped he never had to pull, but then yeah. uh, they get pulled. But, but I think like, so, right, we've got, we've got, with Biden, we've got America back on board, right? The, the, the UK government then, whatever we think of, Boris Johnson and his kind of buffoonery from, you know, well, I was going to say from time to time, it's kind of 24-7, you can set your watch by it. <laughs> uh, but there does seem to be this kind of real will from these politicians and whatever. And kind of what we were saying earlier on is that whole thing of if we want buy in at these lower levels, do we need to be seeing these guys not just talking the talk, but walking the walk? So even with the kind of little bit of skepticism and whatever about kind of like, you know, you, you were in Paris and you're not so sure that things will get any better with these kind of things. Is there hope, at least? Oh, yeah. That- I mean, like, I, I say I don't put much weight in the international negotiation. <laughs> like, I am very happy that we have the Paris Climate Agreement as a, one tool in our toolbox to push yeah. governments to do more. So I'm not dismissing the climate negotiations. I think they, they need to happen um, and they need to keep happening. But, like... Is anything going to change as a result of Glasgow? You know, I mean, it, now it's just working out the fine tuning of the Paris Agreement. So it's not like it's not going to be another Paris moment, I don't think. Yeah. Um, but uh, like I, there is hope. Absolutely. Like I certainly feel more hopeful now than I than I have in a long time. Um, particularly here in Ireland, like we have um, finally have new climate legislation that just passed a couple of weeks ago. Yeah that sets a target of a 51% emissions reduction in the next 10 years or nine years now, um, which is like crazy ambitious. They're saying it's the most ambitious in the world. Now, part of that is because we've done nothing up until this point. So we, we have to get really ambitious now to kind of catch up. Um, but, uh, you know, 7% emissions reductions uh, every year and that every sector will have their own kind of emissions ceilings within an overall uh, carbon budget. Um, these are all really good things that a lot of us have been asking for for a really, really long time. And it, it took um, getting Greens into government to, to make that happen. Um, so, so yeah, it's legislated for now. And I think we're going to, we have to start seeing some big changes in the next five years yeah. in order to achieve this new law. So um, yeah, definitely hopeful. Like in, in, it, it's kind of mad, right? Because when, when the last election happened, and I think before that there'd been a local election and, and the kind of the green wave where a lot of Green Party councillors and people were kind of like, this is a good thing, this is a good thing. And then there was the vote left, transfer left thing that happened and the Greens kind of benefited from that. And now, I, like, 
it's kind of a, a weird kind of feeling that some people have. And one of the kind of things, especially if you're like me and you can't help yourself, but kind of, you know, the endless scroll on Twitter after 12 o'clock at night kind of thing. And you see the, the sadistic uh, musings of some people. But this, there's a lot of talk that it's kind of, the, the Greens almost betrayed that vote left, transfer left. And now there's this kind of narrative of, but sure all the Greens are doing is putting taxes on us now. So how how do we balance kind of, right, where, where there's more coming out of our pocket, but it's for good reason. Is, is the balance there? Yeah, I mean, that whole narrative of like the Greens are putting taxes on us has been happening long before uh, the woke started talking about how the Greens had betrayed them. Um, so... I mean, I think that... I think the, the, the woke are the voters, Cara, so the next election we'll see uh, the Greens decimated, I, I would like to predict. I know. Oh, no, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be at all surprised. And we, and we see it again and again, like small parties always get decimated. So I think it was a really brave move probably for them to, to go in because they, they knew what the risk is. But like, I think what they're trying to do is get as much done as they can while they're in for as long as they can. And a lot of the stuff that's happening now related to like transport in infrastructure and energy infrastructure and everything, that's going to be there well after the Greens leave government. You know, that is locked in now. So they're paving the way for a big transition. Um, so I think that was, that was a smart, like if you put the planet first over your political party ambitions, that was the right move, I feel, you know, but on the, on the, like, the taxing issue, mm. my own feeling is we need to completely reform a tax system so that it's based on resources, so that we are taxed for the resources we consume, not for the wonderful privilege of getting to work in our shitty jobs, right? Um, and, and I think if we changed, if we created what they call environmental tax reform, and, you know, we were taxed on resources, that's water, carbon, you know, precious metals, whatever, um, then that makes sense. And what tends to happen is the wealthier people, the Jeff Bezos and the Richard Bransons consume the most resources. So it actually makes perfect sense from a, like a wealth transfer point of view. Um, but, but what we have now is this kind of piecemeal approach where we're, we're all getting taxed on our jobs very highly. And now we're slapping on environmental taxes on top of that. And I think then that's where you get into an equity issue. See, I think, yeah, I I heard somebody explain this in a way before that I was like, I can get on board with that. And the example that they used was if I'm driving the same car as Mary down the road, but Mary only uses the car for going out and doing the shop once a week and maybe popping down the bingo. Mm -hmm. Whereas I'm commuting from Malahide to Bray every day. So obviously I'm doing way more driving, but I'm paying the same amount of tax as Mary. Mm-hmm. Surely there's a better way of doing this. And the way they explained it was, would it not be better to have this pay, where you pay at the pump, basically. So when you're buying your diesel, yeah. if you're using more diesel, you're paying more tax yeah. compared to somebody who is only doing the shop and the school run and not a big heavy commute. Is yeah. that the kind of reform that we're talking about? Uh, well, that's what's happening. So that's what our carbon tax does is it's it's slapped on at the pump and it's currently 26 euro for a ton of CO2. So, you know, it, it's pretty negligible on a liter basis, um, but it's the, the commitment from government is that that will go up by about six euro a year every year for the next 10 years. Um, and then I think that, so it like goes up to around a hundred euro a ton in the end. Um, so yeah, so, so in theory, 
you, you know, the, the heavy consumers, which tend to be the wealthier people with the bigger cars and everything, um, the bigger houses, all of that stuff will end up paying more for their impact on climate than, than yeah. poor people who now, now where there's a problem is if you are, you could be in a very small house that's very badly insulated, you know, and you could be very dependent on fossil fuels. And I think particularly for transport, you could live in a rural part of the country, not by choice, but because you can't afford to live in the city. And yeah, that's me. Yeah, and you could have to drive very long distances. And and those are the, the issues that we have to make sure that we address. And there are ways to do it. There are lots of different ways where you can distribute the money. So now, like, there's a big program for deep energy retrofit now of houses, and they're focusing on houses where people are in fuel poverty. So mm -hmm. there should be a huge benefit to this because then your, your, your heating bills go way, way down. So you have more disposable income. You're no longer in fuel poverty. You're in a warm, healthier house. Um, and then the carbon tax issue isn't as much of a concern to you, you know? Are there barriers to that happening for people though? Like, cause I mean, is like, I'm, I'm thinking of my parents here. Right? My parents live in a, a three bed house in Ballybrack in Dublin. It was built in, I think the sixties. Um, so it's it's your classic kind of Irish, you know, ca council house built, uh, or council built house rather. Uh, insulation wise, I think there's a bit of cardboard in it, uh, mm -hmm. probably between the brickwork that the builders left behind back then. If they want to get all that done or they want to stick, there's no point in sticking solar panels on the roof if the heat and everything else going to be pissing out the walls, I suppose. So uh, what kind of cost is, is involved in this? And is it something that, you know, you can save up for a year and then fire away or is this a massive massive expense yeah so they i mean they're saying for like the average say a three-bed semi-detached house um to to do what they call a deep energy retrofit which is to completely like insulate all the walls the floors the ceiling uh put a heat pump in so it's not fossil fuel based oil heating your house get, yeah get rid of the gas boiler all that kind yeah of thing. it's all electric and put some solar panels up on the top to, to help feed the the heat pump um the average cost is twenty eight thousand euro to get that done but the grants now will cover about half of that. So, you know, that, that means the homeowner has to come up with the 14,000 euros, say, on average. So um, get me my dad down to the credit union in the morning is the message. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, definitely, I'm, I'm looking now to try and try and do it on my house. Way more expensive, like shocking <laughs> money. Um, and, and yeah, the grants are good right now. So it's like, now is the time. In fact, I ran into a taxi driver the other day, and he told me there's big grants now for the taxi drivers to scrap their diesel cars and get an electric car and it's something like twenty five thousand euro or something they get off the cost of the car he was telling me i don't know if that's actually true but he's getting one he's all excited that his um he's getting an electric car and he told me all the taxi drivers he knows are all going electric and they're super nervous but they can't refuse this amazing deal so you, Did know, you go electric metal no i re i i researched it before i i i've a, i previously had a hyundai and I wanted a stick of Hyundai, so I did only research the Hyundai electric cars on offer, and kind of didn't really suit me infrastructure-wise in terms of the charging points, and I probably wouldn't uh, have had because where my house is, there's no front road; uh, it's a back road, and there's nowhere to put a charging point, and the journey would have only got me two hundred and fifty kilometers on a on a full charge, 
um, and when I'm playing, say, basketball all over the country, it's it's not really ideal um, trying to source a, 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 an electric yeah. kind of charging point mm-hmm. all over the country to, to see if I can charge my car on a on an away trip when you're playing basketball, you don't know why. So I, I, I did, I did give it serious consideration, but I just wasn't yeah, happy with the, the infrastructure of it. Is the, the infrastructure is probably a barrier that a lot of people say if you talk about electric vehicles, Cara, is it? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I'm on electric car number two now. I just traded in. I had, yeah, I know. I had a Renault Zoe. Uh, which They're a great little car. I whenever so, I. Whenever yeah. I drop my car into the garage to get its service or whatever done, they always give me a lend of a car for the day. And a few times I've had a go of a Zoe, and oh. they're great fun. Now, they're, they're the, really the, the the bulk of me in a Renault Zoe is a sight to behold, anyway. Like, but <laughs> like these things are, and the best one of one of the great things with electric cars, you, like they they're quick off the line. Like you don't realize just how there's no lag, there's no nonsense. You put your foot down, and instantly it's boom. You're gone. Yeah, like, yeah. It's yeah. Dirt, dirt bumper cars. <laughs> <laughs> no, I loved it. I felt like a boy racer in my little black <laughs> You know, I got a little disco ball in the window and everything. But um, yeah, I liked it. And I, I had about 200 kilometer range and I took it all over the country and had so many times of crying at chargers that were broken or whatever, yeah, yeah. Or, or petrol vehicles were parked in them or whatever. Um, so it was really hard and I don't, a lot of people were like, oh, well, you know, the, that kind of car would suit you if you were a two car family and you had one petrol car for road trips and then you could have the electric for your daily commute makes total sense. But I'm not, I'm on my own. And I, so I found it really hard. Um, and so then the new Zoe actually, um, it has, I think, 320 kilometer range or something. And I had test drove that over Christmas and I thought I was going to upgrade to that. And then and then somebody told me to try out the Hyundai Kona, which has... The Gorgeous new, car. Yeah, new Hyundai Kona has almost 500 kilometer range. So I just got tempted away, even though I love my Renault, I got tempted away uh, because I got kind of range, range envy, basically. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I haven't, I'm taking that on its first kind of big, big trip uh, next week to the West. Um, so you, yeah, there could be tears. <laughs> we'll, see what, we'll see what the charging infrastructure is like. I've heard it's gotten better. I mean, I'm happy enough with my range. I know I can get to where I need to go and uh, it fast charges. And so I'm hopeful that, that this one will be better. But I mean, they are really fun cars. Electric cars are fun to drive. And I love that they're so quiet. You can be like on the phone. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows you're in the car. And um, so there's a lot of like perks to electric cars. But yeah, I think you're right, Graham, like that the that the cars are they're evolving really quickly. So they'll get better. But I'm not sure if the infrastructure yet is adapting. And like you, your point about not having, um, you know, a driveway to put your charger in, like people in apartments, like are having terrible times trying to get their, you know, apartment management teams to agree. And, um, and so until they get that sorted, I don't know how they're going to, I mean, they say what, no, there's going to be no petrol or diesel vehicles sold. In, yeah, in 20, 2030, isn't it? That's when. Right. They, yeah. yeah, they want to charge a point at your house, Cara. I do, yeah. So oh, I really? kind of like I charge. I when the battery gets about half full, which takes about a week. Um, you know, I don't drive that much really. So um, then I'll I kind of charge it up at home. You know, very it's, it's very slow. When you charge it at home, it's very very slow. Like it would take twenty four hours to go from zero to full. Um, oh, no. Yeah, but like that's fine because you just charge it overnight and it's yeah. Not, 
it's not a big deal. But um, yeah, I haven't really tested the the national infrastructure in the new car yet. So. Yeah, the, the one thing we'll say, the one, the one thing, because like, I, I do a bit of motorway driving and I've noticed now kind of with all these uh, Obama Plaza-esque places that are popping up on our motorways, they all have like dedicated EV charging, but there's more and more of them popping up. Whereas before, last time we were talking to you, like, you know, I think I'd struggled to name where the nearest one to me was, whereas now I'm kind of like, the hotel down the road has three public bays, the motorway station five minutes up the road has eight or nine. So they are becoming Dunleary more... Dunleary has a good few as well, down on Dunleary Main Streets and stuff, down Marine mm. Road and yeah. down the pier and stuff. There is quite a few. Yeah, yeah so. I, I think that Dublin and everything is pretty well serviced. It's when, if you look at the map, though, I think it's when you go west. Like I, I'm planning my trip now, and I have to get from Cleggan, which is like just above Clifton, up to Lanan. And um, there's one charger in Connemara National Park, and the reviews say sometimes it doesn't work. You know, oh, no. like, <laughs> this is really scary. You know, so disaster. I, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, I noticed I was doing a little trip um, last week, and I stopped in one of these kind of apple green places, and there were three electric cars waiting for the one charger. So oh. the problem is electric vehicle sales are going way up. They've outpaced yeah. petrol vehicles. And I don't know if the chargers are keeping up with the demand yet, you know, especially peak summer travel and everything, you know. Yeah. In, in a bit to keep up with our uh, younger Gen Z listeners, it seems like they can be described like that uh, snap, no, not Snapchat, what's that thing called? The TikTok video. Um, and you're seeing it sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. Have you seen this one? <laughs> No, that no, yeah, okay, right. Well, well, our people who are on, uh, it's it's Gattuso, the, the former Italian footballer. He was at a press conference, he was asked something, and that was his response. Sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. And it seems like that fits the EV charging infrastructure, um, around Ireland. But I think the, the thing for people without driveways is probably going to be the, the big ops. Like, <laughs> I'm living in Leash now. And I have neighbors who, uh, on the back of their cars, have those anti-wind turbine stickers. Wow. They're, those, they're those kind of people. Those people still around. He's uh, serious. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, <laughs> so um, I can I can just imagine their uh, their opinion. It's it's courtyard parking here. It's like communal. So like I don't have a front driveway. Uh, so I, I don't know what the situation would be trying to get a charger put in. But I think. Yeah, if there was EVs going in around them, I'd almost feel like they'd be leaving nails out in the kind of road. You know, there's no reason why every lamppost in the country couldn't have a charger on it. Like, it's it's got, they're all wired, you know what I mean? Mm. So, um, like, that's, most streets have a few lampposts, you know, that yeah. you could take a charger on. So that's really where we have That's a good go. point, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I think there was there's one being prototyped now that's like a pop-up one that pops up out of the footpath and everything. So there's there's lots of options if they want to service people who don't have driveways and live in apartments and everything. Yeah, like. yeah. And, and I don't understand why, um, like, shops and services aren't, like, movie theaters should have chargers. It would only, like, if I could plug my car in and go watch a movie... That would be great. You know, like well, all of us who have electric vehicles who have to charge them for 40 minutes or an hour or whatever, um, we're all bored and looking for stuff to do. So it's actually a huge opportunity. Like, like I'm always looking for hotels that have chargers and maybe I could go get a bite to eat or something. And they're in really short supply. Um, so, you know, people who, who could do that and provide chargers 
while also providing a service would be, I think, you know, it would, it would be economically advantageous to them to do so. Yeah. Carrie, you know, um, you were saying there, you, you made a point there that um, a couple of stuff has been implemented as a result of the Green Party in, in government. Now, I've seen a poll, uh, a number of polls over the summer, but I did see a poll where the public said that housing, health and the environment were top of their agenda, which I thought was good that environment was in the top three because I don't think I've seen it before prior to last year's election. Yeah. Um, but the only thing that was kind of, the only thing that was uh, unbalanced in the results of the poll was, was that the Green Party looked like it wouldn't be able to maintain at least half the seats in going into an next general election. So where's the balance there in terms of what they have implemented and the balance of voters not committing to the Green Party uh, should, it, should a general election come about? Well, I think I'm kind of happy to see that it's not only the Green Party anymore that consider them champions of the environment. And I think that's ultimately a good thing, you know, and what those of us who have been campaigning for environmental action have always said, um, you know, just ask your politicians at the doorsteps about climate action, like no matter who they are, ask them what they're doing about climate action. And we saw that in the last election where politicians from every party were saying that climate change was coming up as one of the top five issues on the door. So I saw a change in all parties kind of trying to champion environmental issues, you know? Um, so I know like the social Democrats are, are working on legislation right now on eco side, and they've been very strong on biodiversity in particular. Um, Breed Smith from People Before Profit has always been a huge, uh, advocate of um, climate action and, and, you know, championing kind of end, the end of offshore oil and gas exploration and everything. So um, I, I don't necessarily think that the ball drops just because the Greens aren't in government. I think the Greens have had some issues on comms and I think they're, they're fractured from the inside. And, and, and I think that that Absolutely, is yeah. making them look um, a bit unprofessional, to be quite honest, because they, like, they need to get their own house in order. Um, and so I wouldn't be surprised if they don't do well in the next election as a result of that and maybe other things. But um, but I do feel like there are lots of other politicians and parties that could be pushed in that direction too. Very um, good. You know, so. I think I think Lynn Boylan is quite passionate about climate change as well. Yeah, she has a, I think she has a master's degree in in climate communication or something from DCU you now. So yeah, so, so the opposition parties currently, um, what you're saying is that that there's a there's plenty of kind of activism uh, in climate control in up or in the opposition parties to make up should the Green Party not be able to maintain uh, a government in the next election. That's, that's, yeah, that's I mean, I do think, look, the Green Party, they their whole value system is environment, right? That's, they're the Greens, that's what they've always been about, and that's great that there's a party, but that's their thing. And I think the other parties, obviously, that's not why they were formed. They don't, I can't even really figure out what Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil's value system is, you know? Um, but, like, uh, but, so, so, you know, my preference would be, like, a political party that they're, you know, solely focus on the environment, but that's my thing. That's not everybody's thing. Um, so like, but I do think that all political parties blow where they think the votes are. 
And, and thank God the votes seem to be for environmental action right now, that people are finally, that the media has changed a lot. The media has improved in their communication and people are much more aware now than they were five or 10 years ago about you know, the climate crisis, the biodiversity crisis, our declining water quality, all of these issues. Um, and, and so like, I think, I think we can shift all political parties in that direction too, you know? Are we, are we at a point now where climate skeptics are no longer given the platform they were five years ago? Or are there still too many voices out there that you're like, will somebody please mute that person? It's such a relief to not be invited on TV shows. I think the last time I talked to you, I think I had just gotten out of like a car crash uh, yeah. in my interview I was traumatized by I think uh, that was on the Tonight Show was it? I think yeah, so yeah, it, yeah. Was, yeah. it was Vincent Brown but it wasn't Vincent Brown doing it that would have been great it was Charlie Bird and uh, it was um, myself Eamon Ryan and John Gibbons against John McGurk the communications guy you know and it, oh they had promised me it wouldn't be about you know whether or not climate change existed and then it was John McGurk telling us how climate change you know isn't caused by humans and I was like, okay, who spent 12 years in university studying this? <laughs> and who's a communications consultant, you know? Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Yeah, so it's really, really frustrating. And I haven't had one of those kind of climate denier interviews in a long time. And the media has really, I think they really have. And the climate deniers have realized, like, you can't but look around and see climate change happening all around you. Um, so their argument isn't really holding water anymore. Um, they've kind of moved, they've kind of moved the debate to things like, well, it might not be so bad. Um, you know, maybe it's not as bad as we need to like invest all this money because it might not yeah. be, you know, or it could be good for Ireland or some, you know, they've kind of changed the narrative a little Cli- bit. Sorry, climate change could be good for a small island in the Atlantic. Yeah, that because is, of the 28 is, degrees uh, heat waves. Yeah, then. Well, yeah, yeah what, like, I mean, if, you know, if it's going to be the heat wave. Uh, well, like we the, the good thing about that car is that we won't be using planes to get to Spain for the sun. True, yeah, completely. We don't need to leave, so. Yeah. You won't have far to travel to a beach neither because you'll be flooded. So. <laughs> <laughs> we'll all be on a tiny amount of land. I mean, yeah. places like Russia are going to do really well in a changing climate because their permafrost is all going to melt. So they're going yeah. to have access to all of this new natural gas that they can sell to the rest of us. Uh, and they're going to have all this new arable land that was frozen that they can now grow food for. And of course, none of us are going to be able to grow food. So we're all going to be buying our food from Russia. So, um, you know, they, I mean, they say that's why Putin is kind of against climate action and was quite pro-Trump and, you know, that, that it's all related actually um, to, to climate change. Strangely, that's the theory. Yeah. yeah, it's um the, the 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 whole thing about gas and carbon capture fascinates me, and mm. I don't know anywhere near enough about it. But I think the last time we talked to you, carbon capture was something that we talked about very briefly as a kind of like it's not there yet, but we're now seeing companies starting to invest billions into these carbon capture projects. So mm. I, I'm taking that as a sign of things are looking up. Uh, is it things are looking up or is it more that the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change Analysis has basically said, if we're going to stay below 1.5 degrees, we have to figure out a way to suck carbon from the atmosphere because we're just not, we're not moving fast enough to kind of stop it, you know? So um, it might be just like a very extreme reaction to the kind of dire scenario more than, I mean, it is 
it is working on a very small scale in certain energy, like energy plants where they're kind of, they're producing the emissions and right away they're, they're sucking them out of the pipe and putting them back in the ground. And yeah. that is showing to work on a, like a micro scale. And that's great. Um, on a macro scale, like the most viable thing is that we, we do kind of a, a cloud seeding. We like pump vast amounts of ocean water into the sky and we kind of do like a global dimming. Um, and then we live in a very cloudy world where we don't see the sun. Uh, but the, you know, that's, they, they said that's probably the most viable on a kind of a big scale, but that has other huge implications yeah. um, environmentally. And, you know, um, so I think it's something we're, we're stuck where we have to explore because we've, we've left things so late, but I still don't think on a, on a macro scale, it's viable, but maybe on a micro scale, um, it makes sense for kind of um, fossil fuel emitting enterprises, you know? Yeah, so necessity being the mother of all invention exactly. is kind of leading us down the road. Said, yeah. Yeah. Um, on, on the cloud thing, and I don't know if this is to do with climate change or if this is me just making it, I re- while we were having our heat wave, uh, the United Arab Emirates were having also a heat wave, and I read they were. I think I have this right. They were electrocuting clouds to create rain. <laughs> yes, I read that yesterday. Yeah. Wow. Oh my god. Is, is that is that a good thing or is that dangerous or is that like I've no idea if it's climate related or not. But I, I, I don't know. Have you heard that about it before? Or? No, that's the first I I've heard about. But I mean, them having a heat wave in summer. I lived in the United Arab Emirates as a kid, actually. Uh, so like a heat wave in summer there wow. is pretty. Yeah. That'd be pretty painful. Um, yeah. No, but I, I mean, look, I, I guess if they needed the water, then that maybe makes sense to try. Did, did it work? I can't. Well, I mean, they, 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 they got rain. So. Yeah. yeah, you don't know. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think they've tried to do things like that in America too, around kind of uh, agricultural fields mm. and stuff, you know, flying planes over to do kind of cloud seeding and try and create rain and, um, seems like it'd be pretty tricky, but yeah, I'd love to hear more about that. And yeah, more almost, money that they can burn down there. Yeah, I must, I must go off and learn more about it because uh, I, I, I hadn't a clue if it's climate related or what it is, but I just kind of thought, hang on a second, if they're electrocuting clouds to create rain, but at the same time, there's a plan to pump a load of ocean water into the air to make kind of cloudiness. <laughs> Some, something mad is happening out there. It sounds like it's set up for a film where the bad guy basically takes over all that stuff and holds the world at ransom. Do you know what I mean? There's a James <laughs> Bond film in it. Like, or a Die Hard film. Or a do- yeah, I'm, I'm all for John McClane yeah. getting to say in any of this. Or a stuff, Minions. So. Or a Minions. Surely that would involve bananas though. That's the only yeah. thing. Uh, I didn't read the article. I did see a trend on Twitter something about the boy makes water. Yeah, yeah. I must, I must go dig it up and have an actual proper. I mean, they're it. amazing what they do, even just with with ocean water that they, mm. I mean, that they can just turn it into kind of drinking water, drinkable water, fresh yeah. water. Yeah. Um, Kara, we're, we're we're nearly out of time with you. Um, which is, uh, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's been a quick hour as always when we're talking to you. But I suppose before we let you go, if you said at the kind of start of it that you know 2026 could be d-day for some island nations like and whatnot so if you were to look at it and say like in five years time what the ideal picture might look like climate wise and whatnot and if you are sitting on a podcast similar to this one after me and Mero have hung up the microphone (laughs) uh, what 
what message would you want people to take away from it? Well, I think first that it, it's not D Day 2026 20, or 2030. These things are I'm, all. I'm going for the clickbait drama there. That's all. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Don't put those kind of words in my mouth, especially because that's very soon and people would hold me to it. Um, you know, I mean, these things uh, flux and, and change happen mm. somewhat gradually. But um, yeah, I think in, in five years' time, if we could see that emissions curve bending downward, uh, both in Ireland and globally. So, you know, if we if we have a 25% emissions reduction in Ireland, like we really have not reduced emissions at all um, since we signed on to the Kyoto Protocol in 1992, I think it was. Uh, so, yeah, I think if we can finally see that curve bending downward, and I think once a curve starts going downward, then actually you get this kind of this tipping point, but a good tipping point where like everybody starts buying electric vehicles and everybody lives in houses that don't use fossil fuels and, you know, and, and everybody starts living differently. Um, so if we could have that kind of shift in, in the way we live in the next five years, and um, I think we're starting to see the groundwork of that happening and maybe COVID was a little moment where we all kind of took a pause and stepped back and said, actually, we do need more green space and places to walk and safe places to cycle. And we don't want to sit in traffic anymore. Um, you know, I would be really happy if, if we started to see those changes taking place in the next five years. Sounds good Brilliant. to me as well. Yeah. Yeah. Cara, it's been a pleasure as always. It's far too long since we last yeah. talked to you. I know, so, I know. We'll make it sooner next time. Won't we? we definitely will. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so thanks me and for, for joining us. If anybody wants to follow Cara, they can do so on Twitter at C Augustenborg. Um, but Cara, enjoy your trip over to the West. I hope the uh, charging point in the national park is on form and that you don't get stuck. You'll yeah. see Eric about it on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> 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 my 11 year old in the back going, God damn you, mom, I'm going to buy an electric car. <laughs> uh, but, Cara, thanks so much for your time. Thanks I really, so much, really Cara. appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Take care. Dr. Cara Augustenborg, Graham. Thank you, Cara. A woman that has forgotten more about the environment than I'll ever know. So yeah. Well, Danny, what do you think? Will, what do you think will make the public take climate control seriously. I don't think they're... Uh, it's not climate, climate control, Graham. I'm oh, sorry, climate <laughs> change. <laughs> I was thinking uh, of the Adidas runners. They used to be yeah, climate control. Climate control, yeah, yeah. Um, climate change. What, what do you think? And I don't think people are uh, climate change deniers. I think they genuinely believe in it. But I just think they're kind of like, oh, something else. I just want to live my life. What, what do you think? Yeah, I... I think we're already at a point where most people are kind of aware of it and are kind of, and when I say kind of aware of it, I mean, you know, that if they have like, if, they, if they've opened something or whatever, or they're making the dinner and oh, that packaging goes into recycling kind of thing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So I think people are already working it into their daily kind of psyche and whatever. But I think, like, like what Cara brought up the air travel there and she said like she, she knows friend, obviously kind of, She'd know people are lost longer on the environment than I am, and they gave up eating red meat for a year so that they could take a flight. And I, did, I didn't say it. that to her. Dar. I was going to say I didn't. I didn't say it to her, but I, I was like, if you think I'm giving up steak Tuesday for no, no, like I'm not going to do that, you know. Yeah. But but like, uh, <laughs> look, I think we all we all have to do a little bit better, right? I think that's. The, the simple reality of it like and, and there's no point in I constantly hear people going like oh well Jesus like, no point in me 
fucking putting stuff in the fucking green bin and fucking China's over there fucking and they're fucking polluting everything. Stop. Stop. Stop that for a second here, right? Because if you went by that logic, oh, well, there's no point in me not murdering anybody when your man Jeffrey Dahmer's over there eating people. <laughs> like, stop that. You can't live your life going, no point in me doing that because such and such. It's not how things work, man. Right? Just put stuff into the recycling bin and just do little things that make more sense. Like, is that gaff powered by green energy? Do you know what I mean? Like, can you do things that are, you know, just little small things here and there, and they all add up? Do you know what I mean? We don't have to take on China. But if, let's just say everyone in the BRAC, right? If everyone in the BRAC done 5% more to be a little bit green or, or a little bit whatever with climate change, that'd make a difference. Everyone doing their 5%, that would add up. And when we all add up... You sound like an activist now, Danny. I'm getting to an activist point in my life, Graham, you know? Uh, I feel like I've missed me calling all these years. <laughs> Were you not in the trees down at the Glen of the Downs, no? Once upon a time, once upon a time, I think I could have been a hippie eating and wearing hemp. I think that's all I did, <laughs> wasn't it? Now, look, I'm, and I was, I was a climate change skeptic for years, man, in my teens. Really? Or whatever. I was, yeah, yeah, I was like, uh, you were a skeptic about everything in your mid to late teens. Do you know what I mean? Even to your like, early 20s. Everything was a bit kind of like, ah, would you stop out that? Look, everything in the world is made of plastic and you don't get plastic without oil, so stick it up your hole, was my opinion. Whereas now I'm kind of like, <laughs> oh, I don't think we should go drilling for that anymore. I'd probably just rather see a wind turbine out there. <laughs> you know I mean? like, and you work in the wind turbine industry. How fucking... Well, would how, you, would how you ideal, bring, Danny? Would you, stop, would you stop bringing that up, please? People don't need to know about my private affairs, all right? All right, you can edit that out. I won't. I won't. I'm, I'm more than having people to know that I work in the renewable energy industry and that I'm, I'm part of the big energy thing. You're the poster you, boy. You're part of big tech. I'm part of big energy and together we're sporting big pharma. And it's, <laughs> yeah, all, yeah. it's all a conspiracy. The conspiracy theories fucking hate you and I. Oh, they do, man. They do. You know, go fucking clean energy. you yeah, fucking big pharma, man. What is big pharma? What, like, tell me, what is it? I have no idea, man. It's like Bitcoin, man. People just say these fucking words and they don't have a clue what they're on about. Oh, big firm and big tech. Yeah. I'm like, should, you're, you're typing this into Twitter on your iPhone. Shut up with your big tech, you spanner. Yeah. <sighs> I'm hungry, Graham, so I'm a bit angry. Could you hear my drink going blub, 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 blub? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, lo- I, I don't mind that noise. You know yeah. when you're watching something in the show and, and they pour a bit of whiskey or something? Mm-hmm. I like that noise. Yeah, I've I've been having a few whiskeys on my holidays, and to be honest right. with you, I've been enjoying it a bit too much, Graham. Right, very good. Yeah, yeah, just just a little few here and there. We had Selton Cubes made a drinking game out of the Olympics. I've been sozzled for most of the holiday. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, look, go on. I'll tell you about that another time. Uh, congratulations to our listener, our number one listener since the, the beginning, Shane Fitz, and my who is now a father to the lovely Layla Faye Fitzpatrick big congratulations lovely name lovely name and Cathy um, until next time Danny where can you hear us uh, if you want to listen to uh, the 240 whatever number I said at the start of this podcast uh, if you want to listen to all those other episodes you can go to wtspod.com or we're also available on podcast directories such as Spotify such as Apple Podcasts, such as Stitcher. You can get us on Podbean. You can ask Alexa to play us and she'll oblige. Uh, you can get us anywhere and everywhere this mm-hmm. podcast by just searching WTS Pod. Or our formal name, should you ever wish to give a formal invitation, is What's the Story Podcast? 
thank you. He's Dan Joe Murray on Twitter. I'm at Merrigan Mania. And yes. that's really all we have to say this week. Until next time. It is, yeah, you're right. Until next time, dear. Clear eyes. Full hearts. And too sweet. Too sweet.